like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. And in this episode, I will be continuing my look at Philip K. Dick's 1965 novel, The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. So in the previous two parts, we learned about the, how the UN was settling all the colonies of the solar system. Yet the conditions on those colonies are so bad that they overlook drug laws and allow people to use a drug called candy in order to project themselves into displays they make that allow them to live out lives as if they're back on Earth. This product, as well as the layouts and the drug, are provided by PP Layouts, the major corporation on Earth, and that's our main setting for this novel. Unfortunately for PP Layouts and its boss, Leo Bolero, there is a newcomer into the market. As Palmer Eldridge, the long-lost industrialist that went off to, into space, has returned for apparently unknown reasons. He's bringing with him a drug called Choosy, which he hopes to use to infiltrate the, into the market and perhaps push out PP layouts forever. Or maybe he has other motives. We don't really know. Leo Bolero tries to get close to Palmer Eldridge and in doing so is captured by him. And Palmer Eldridge takes them on this wild experience after giving him an injection intravenously of choosy. We realize that the world in that you enter into when you take this drug choosy is actually controlled by Palmer Eldridge. Maybe people have some control over it, but it's not clear how much. And Leo Bolero leaves this experience quite disheveled and upset. So he returns to see his employee, Barney Mainerson, who has abandoned him after he was captured by Palmer Eldridge. So that's where we pick up in Chapter 7. Of course, I left out a lot of details, so please go back and listen to the earlier episodes if you want to, to be caught up to speed. Or just read the book. It's, it's a good one. It's a lot of fun to read. So we're going to pick up with Chapter 7 of The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. In this episode, I'll, I'll examine Chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, which will bring us right up to the climax of the novel, which I'll complete in Part 4. So... At chapter 7 opens, Leo Bolero has escaped from the clutches of Palmer Eldridge after going on a, after going on a time-traveling psychedelic adventure, thanks to Choosy, and he returns immediately to, to Barney Mayerson, angry that Barney Mayerson did not come to help him. Um, he does first, though, discuss his experiences with Palmer Eldridge, saying, I've had a terrible experience in Palmer Eldridge's domain. He's a damn magician, Barney. He did all kinds of things to me, things you and I never dreamed of. Turned himself, for instance, into a little girl, showed me the future. Only maybe that was intentional. Made a complete universe up anyways, including a horrible animal called a Gluck, along with an unusual, illusional New York City with you and Ronnie. What a mess. Where did you go? Yes. Essentially, though, Leo says he's going to fire Barney for, for not helping him as sort of his punishment. But Barney uh, does say that he'll just go to work for, for Palmer Eldridge. And despite the conflict between Leo and, and Barney, Leo does warn him about working for Palmer Eldridge, especially because he seems that Palmer Eldridge seems very confident about whatever his plan may be. 
So having been fired from his job and, and planning to go off to work for his former employee's greatest enemy and competitor, Barney first goes to see his ex-wife, Emily, who has since remarried. Um, he basically has been worrying about and burdened by his ex-wife for the entire novel. He loves her very much. He regrets leaving her. And while he's had other women, including his underling, Ronnie Fugade, there's a little bit of a Me Too in this novel. Um, of course, in the, in the 60s, it was a little bit different world when Dick wrote this. Um, but, you know, he's very much depressed about not having his wife. So he goes back to see her. And, and he realizes after seeing her and talking with her and, and seeing how she is with her new husband, realizes that he's been selfish and a bit judgmental and basically you know he doesn't understand that she's over him and he has to get on with his life but he doesn't really want to he doesn't want to live without emily but at the same time he doesn't want to force her into something so she makes pretty much a a gut decision to instead of working for palmer eldridge and staying on earth he's going to fulfill his draft duty which is to go to to mars uh, he's gotten the draft notice in the mail which commands him to go to Mars as a settler, something all people have to face. He was trying to get out of it before by having a psychiatrist deem him, you know, kind of unable to handle the stress of the frontier. And he also had Leo Bolero who promised to pull strings for him. But now he decides to just give all that up and just go to Mars. And the reason why he wants to go to Mars is because in Mars he can chew candy, he can go into the perky pat layouts as Walt and li live his life with Emily and they basically live forever with Emily in this kind of drug delusion. So he decides to accept the draft. Here's what Dick writes. I can chew candy, he thought. Only instead of having a perky pat layout, he thought, maybe I'll have an Emily layout and spend time in fantasy back with you, back in the life I remember, moronically, that I deliberately moronically turned my back on. The only really good period in my life when I was genuinely happy. But of course, I didn't know it because I had nothing to compare it to as I have now. Is there any chance, he said, that you would like to come? And then, of course, she doesn't. So Barney, then he leaves, his, he leaves after talking with Emily, goes to call basically the draft office to say he wants to volunteer for the UN to, to go to another planet. He doesn't say Mars in particular. He just says, I'll go anywhere you want to send me. And eventually they, they do send him to Mars. And, and much of the rest of the novel will take place on, on Mars as Barney relocates to there. Now, before he can go, Leo Bolero returns, kind of with an olive branch this time. He, he realizes that now that Barney's going to Mars, there's an opportunity here and that he should make peace with Barney and, and, and not leave on such harsh terms. And he appears to him and he basically offers him up a scheme by which he'll be able to dis help him discredit Palmer Eldridge and help the survival of Candy. So if he's going to be on Mars, he might as well continue to work for him. And then in the future, Leo Bolero promises that he'll be able to help him get off Mars if he wants to, or, or you know, just help him out in various ways. So it's a very quid pro quo relationship. But the plan essentially comes down to using Barney and having Barney choosy on Mars, then have some kind of physiological response, probably induced by chemicals that Leo Bolero will pro provide for him, and then use that to then sue Palmer Eldridge and get the drug off the market. It's, I mean, we already know we're kind of in cosmic territory with Palmer Eldridge. You know, the novel is, of course, called The Three Stigmata, Palmer Eldridge. If you read the back cover, you know, you're, you know the question of, of religion is in there. 
We've already had Palmer Eldred say to Leo Bolero that God promises eternal life, but I can deliver it. So we are actually in a cosmic religious environment, but Leo Bolero still looks at it as a business transaction and maybe using his using the legal mechanisms of the UN to discredit Choosy, get it off the market, which will keep the market open for, for him and his product, Candy. So anyways, that's the plan. The details of the plan will be fulfilled, a little, discussed a little bit later when Leo's agents arrive to, to Mars. So that's all taken out, uh, that's all of the way he gets on the transport to Mars. And while he's on the transport, he meets another colonist, another settler named Anne Hawthorne. She's also a volunteer to come. I mean, Barney's kind of a, a I, mean, I don't know how much of a volunteer he is. He does say he's calling the volunteer, but he was already drafted to go, so. Anyways, but on the transport, he meets Anne Hathaway, who's a missionary. And her purpose of going to Mars is she wants to go there and spread her religion. Her church is the Neo-American Christian Church. And we get a little bit of, of background on this. Um, you know, the whole theology of this church isn't fully developed. It's, it's kind of an offshoot of Protestantism, it seems. It, it's not a full new-blown New Age religion. That Dick likes to explore and play with. It's it's within the Christian tradition, but it's it's kind of a revision of it that emerges in the future. And apparently, you know, on the colonies, no one follows religion. They, if they have a religion, it's a religion of candy. It's a religion of drugs. It's a religion of Perky Pat and Walt. And and Hawthorne wants to go there and help convert them back to a proper religious experience instead of the delusional induced one. She says, quote, to be frank, Mrs. Ma Mr. Marison, I intend to try to convert as many colonists as possible away from candy to the traditional Christian practices. That's the reason I declined to put together a case that would exempt me from the draft. Is that wrong? I'll tell you frankly. I think I can use can I think the use of candy indicates a genuine hunger on the part of these people to find a return to what we in the neo-American church. And she's cut off by Barney at that point. So she's a bit delusional here about how important Candide is to them. She's just kind of reading the news about them and you know, hearing the rumors and assumes that a true religious experience will be better for them. In a way, it seems that Palmer Eldridge is sort of offering up a more solipsistic experience, but he frames it in religious terms. Remember we talked about in the previous episode about how Choosy offers up the solipsistic point of view while Candy provides the, the collective and communal and cooperative type of, of experience. Barney tries to warn her about the colonial mentality, about the, the reality out there, and Anne, Anne, Anne Hawthorne doesn't seem to really understand. And after, not, after being there, well, she is going to learn. She's going to learn very quickly that the reality of life on Mars is not what she, she had hoped for or expected, and that the possibility of converting the people on this frontier isn't as, 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 as it's not as possible as she had thought, but you know that she's going to learn in future chapters. So that's chapter seven. The heart of that chapter is Barney's decision to to relocate to Mars so he can live in eternal bliss with his his wife Emily via the drug candy. So in chapter eight, Barney Mayerson and Anne Hawthorne and the other settlers have arrived on Mars. So Barney Mayerson is going to be in Chickenpox Prox. Which is the hovel we've met before. Now we should talk a little bit now about chickenpox prospects, the other hovels on Mars, and, and how they're described here. The what, the description we get are like suburban, like rundown housing filled with people who just take drugs all day. This image 
when you read this chapter in particular, and, and it, it, it's earlier in chapter three too, but it's especially in this chapter, you get this feeling that you're, he's, it's like a California suburban town with a bunch of wannabe hippies who sit around and take drugs all day and don't have jobs and don't want to literally live in reality. That's kind of the image we get. And it seems drawn from, from the life of, from life, from Dick's own experiences, or maybe people we knew or interacted with. Um, so Shikan Park Prospect is really just full of people who get high all day. And they get high via this drug candy and they use these, these layouts. They only talk about the drugs. They talk about almost nothing else. There's a little bit later on we get some window into what they're actually doing to terraform Mars and to build it up and construction. And everyone has jobs, but basically all they care about is drugs. And it's pretty much the first thing they, they talk about when they meet meet him. So these are characters we actually met before in chapter three, but Norm, Norm Shine kind of runs chicken pot prospects. The hovels are quite small. They have like seven or eight people in them. And Hawthorne lives in a neighboring hovel. And Barney quickly comes to terms with his, his new life and accepts it. He says, quote, I can do with a little illusion at this point, Barney said, as he seated himself on a metal bench within the hovel entrance. The sand plot, which had which had brought him, meanwhile, unloaded his gear and watched dully. So that's him sort of coming to terms with it. But the first thing they talk about is what drug they're going to use. And they have a specific, actually, conversation to have. It's done for democratically, so it's not an undemocratic authoritarian space. They, they do make decisions um, within the values of direct democracy. But they're, it's, it's, what they're debating is which drug to buy. <laughs> And they're voting on which drug to use. They, they've been using candy for a long time, and they know it, and they understand it. But they have heard the news that this new drug, Choosy, is coming in. And so this is actually what Barney's here for. He's here to help convince them to use Choosy so he can use it, so he can help Leo Bolero discredit Palmer Eldridge. And they have a fairly vigorous debate. You can imagine this being a serious political debate about single-payer health care or something. But that's not what it is. It's, it's a debate about which drug to buy. And so the one character named Impatience says... I will. Choosy as garbage, is habit for me, toxic and worse, leads to lethal escape dreams, not of terror, but of, she gestured with the pistol, grotesque baroque fantasies of an infantile, total deranged nature. Explain to me why this decision. So that's, and then they go back and forth on this. They, they go on about the, the legality of it, and they discuss whether it's safe to use this, and do they lay out, and all these questions, and they get in this whole long debate over it. Candy versus Choosy. Now, before they finally make their decision about it, they, they sit down and chew candy. They still have some left, so they sit down to, to take it. And here's where you have this scene where all these people, essentially kind of losers, they're forced to go live on Mars in these hovels. They really don't have much of a future. There's not much point in actually terraforming or colonizing Mars, it seems, except that the UN wants to do it. So what do they do except take drugs. Now, in this case, they're taking Candide in order to project themselves or translate themselves into books. So that's something else you can do with Candide, it seems like. If you want to live in the world of Moby Dick, right, you, you can do that and you can actually be in the novel. So they're also debating which books to, to translate themselves into. Now, Barney doesn't take Candide with the group at this time point. He goes to see Anne instead, who's in another hovel. And she's already changed her view about about uh, Candy and about her future on Mars. And it seems Anne had the same experience Barney had in that as soon as she came, everyone just went, they, they had their discussion and then they went and took Candy. And so she's pretty 
fatalistic about the hopes of converting these people to her view to her religion. Now, she notices that Barney has a copy of Thomas A. Kempis' Imitation of Christ. Now, this is a, one of the most famous books in the Christian tradition in Europe, um, which I've never read, um, but I, I did quickly look it up. And they talk about this particular book, and, and she's kind of touched that he has this sympathy or at least appreciation of, of some religious texts. But then Anne goes to take Candide and just joins the delusion of the others. And she's actually joining, I think, the Chickenpox Prospects uh, translation and delusion, not the one of her own hovel. So there's already talk about maybe having Anne come to the hovel because Barney doesn't have a mate and they could just hook up because I think it's like seven people and CCP, not, or CPP. And they need like an extra woman to balance things out. So there's this question of, Jan, of Anne joining the hovel established already. So, but Barney's still not joining the, the translation. So that's chapter eight. Chapter eight is mostly about Barney's arrival on Mars. And then it's just really about giving us a strong feeling about Mars is basically a bunch of drug addicts just wasting away their lives in these rundown homes instead of actually doing the work of colonization. So pretty much any remnant of the utopian visions of the frontier we saw earlier in Philip Dick's fiction, novels and works is, is gone by this point. The, the frontier is simply a, an extension of the California suburbs and the worst aspects of it, right? The, the drug-addled um, drug teenager is kind of the feeling I get when I, re, when I reread these, these chapters. All right, chapter nine. So as chapter nine opens, Annie recovers from taking the candy and she goes back to her house, which is like Flaxback Spit, it's called. That's her hovel. Um, even the names of these hovels are kind of like they came, were made up by drug addicts. It, it's the way it sounds to me. Um, Barney accompanies her back to, to her place and she complains about the translation experience. She did not have a very good time doing it. Um, and then, then they have to start having a long conversation about religion, about sex, about relationships, about choosy, about the candy experience. So it's a pretty rich conversation. And in my version, it's, it's pretty much the first half of, of chapter nine. Here's a little bit of it. Barney, she said quietly, I have to find something else and soon. Can you help me? You seem smart and grown up and experienced. Being translated is not going to help me. Choosy won't be any better because something in me rebels. Won't take it, see? Yes, you see, I can understand. Hell, you would even try it once, so you must understand. You wouldn't even try it once, so you must understand. She squeezed his arm and clenched tightly to him in the darkness. I know something else, Barney. They're tired of it, too. All they do is bicker while they, we were inside those dolls. They didn't enjoy it for a second, even. Gosh, he said. Flashing her lantern ahead, Anne said, It's a shame. I wish they did. I feel sorry for them than I do. For she ceased walking on for a time in silence and then abruptly said, I've changed, Barney. I feel it in myself. I want to sit down here, wherever we are, you and I alone in the dark. And you know what? I don't have to say it, do I? No, he admitted. But the thing is, you'll regret it afterwards. I would too because of your reaction. Maybe I'll pray, Anne said. Praying is hard to too. You have to know how. You don't pray for yourself. You pray for what we call an in intercessive prayer for others. And when you pray, listen to God. Who's in heaven out there somewhere? It's to the Holy Spirit within. That's different. That's parasleep. Do you ever read Paul? And then they talk more about religion. So we're actually given a third kind of possible experience offered up here. And so we have choosy and candied. And prayer is something, too, that allows you to experience empathy. And I think Dick wants us to think about whether the candy collective experience, it's, it's communal. And this is why Leo Bolero thinks it's better. 
He thinks it's it's actually joining people together in, in a community and it's a shared experience. But as Anne, who's in there, knows, it's actually just a they just fight. Now, Leo Bolero himself, he likes to take candy without a translation. So they're just like having a psychic connection with someone else. And that's a little bit different. But when they do it through the translation, they just end up fighting their old fights, whatever they may have done back on Earth or something. But she's saying there's 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 kind of a more powerful, empathetic experience in in prayer. So I think there's a lot there to to mull over. I mean, this is the novel that that has that can be read on many different levels and and levels of understanding. You can get a lot out of it, especially I think about religious experiences. This is almost the kind of book you need to read alongside maybe something like William James or something. Now, after this conversation. He proposes to Anne. She refuses, but they do have sex, despite her refusing to, to marry him. So after that night, um, Barney meets with one of Leo Bolero's agents, a guy named Fane. And Fane and Leo discuss the plan. They discuss the plan they have. And basically, we already know this from in broad frameworks from before, and that is they will frame Palmer Eldred's for, for spreading a dangerous project by product by having Leo or having Barney take the product and then have a, like a, a, a grand mal seizure inflicted on him. And then they'll be able to then prove that this is a dangerous drug. The UN will shut it down. And then Leo Bolero will continue to peddle his candy across the colonists. What we now know, though, is that the colonists are already getting tired of candy. It's already become a banal experience for them. It's just something they're addicted to. They don't have any better options, but it's not providing for them anything very meaningful anymore. Now, Fane offers to help him out. He says, like, if you do this for us, if you take this drug and help us out, we will get you off off, off Mars and we'll get you back to Earth and you, you can live happily there. And, and Barney thinks in his head, OK, like, I'll do this for you, but I'm not going to return. I'm going to commit myself to Mars. And this is one of the boldest acts he takes despite knowing how horrible it is, despite not being happy there, despite not being able to marry Anne Hawthorne, despite not really wanting to get into the candy experience. He said he wanted to come here to take candy, and he doesn't do it even to be with Emily. So despite all that, he decides to commit to this new life. And I think this is something that's often on Dick's mind, is that you don't struggle against the world you've been given. You, you, you sort of have to deal with it. That, that's part of life. And escapism is not really a solution to these problems. You, you got to kind of face it and, and run your way through it. Quote, I'll take that toxin, he said to himself, and then I'll go to court and sue the bastards for Leo's sake, because I owe that to him. But I'm not returning to Earth. Either I make it here or not at all, with Anne Hawthorne, I hope. But if not, then alone or with someone else, I'll live out Doberman's law, as Fane predicts. Anyway, it'll be here on this miserable planet, this promised land. Tomorrow morning, this decide, I'll begin chewing away the sand for 50,000 centuries for my first vegetable garden. That's the initial step. End quote. And that's, that is the initial step. I mean, the solution here for Mars is to make Mars less horrible, right? And that only comes through work. It only comes through struggle. And it comes through actually terraforming Mars and not just sitting in hovels taking a drug. And I think Dick, you know, is able to insert his strong moral argument here with, through the character of, of Barney. And that's, that's chapter, chapter 9. So chapter 9 is mostly the debriefing of Anne's experience. They're hooking up. And then the, result, the, the discussion of the plan by which Barney's going to take Choosy and then use that to frame Palmer Eldridge. Again, it seems Leo's playing 
a relatively short game when Palmer Eldridge is playing a longer game. But we don't even know what those rules are. I mean, they're they're they can't even really struggle against Palmer Eldridge because they don't know what he wants. They don't know what his drug really does or anything. So Leo's just trying the best he can under the rules of the UN to to fight against his enemy. All right, then, chapter 10. This will be the last chapter I look at in this episode. This, this movie, novel kind of moves along quickly once we, once we get through the first half. It gets really weird in the final chapters of the book, though, but nevertheless, it, it, does, it does speed along. It is a rather quick, quick read. It's just you have to come back and, and mull over these things, and it's not entirely clear every time what's, what's all going on. That's just the nature of it. This is really where, this is the kind of, when people like the Philip Dick, that's very metaphysical and bizarre and, and it's very ambiguous. These are the kind of novels that are good for that. Um, so anyways, chapter 10 actually begins with Barney at work. Barney actually is fulfilling his vow. He's like trying to try to make Mars better. So he's doing his, his work, like operating bulldozers and stuff. And, and he's, he's working with Norm Shine and Ted Morris. So there is work um, being done. They even play with homeostatic traps. This is something we met in Dr. Blood Money and I think a few novels too. These are the, the traps that actually seek out um, creature dens and there's apparently a rodent problem on Mars too. It doesn't make it any better, obviously. And it's just as this happens, they, you know, they have decided to take Choosy. I think I didn't mention that earlier. I think that's in chapter eight. They, they vote to take Choosy. Barney's actually the deciding vote in that. And, and the ship comes. They think it's going to be the choosy pusher that they heard was there. But actually, it's Palmer Eldridge who comes out of, out, of the, out of the ship. And we get our description of Palmer Eldridge. Leo Blair had met him before, but he was talking through a delusion and talking, talking through like a metal mechanical device. Here we get this description. And Leo Blair is a good example of a post-human. Barney's a post-human. He's a precog. But we also have this transhumanistic figure here in Palmer Eldridge. Now, you know, for at this point in the novel, we think he's human, right? That he's going to reveal to be probably not a human, although everything is kind of fuzzy um, when you get to the latter half of the novel. But he appears as like a human who's been re remade into a half-machine transhuman almost, like a Borg. Quote, no one could fail to identify him since his crash on Pluto. The homeopapes had printed one pic after another. Of course, the pics were 10 years old and out of date, but this was still the man. Gray and bony, well over six feet tall, with swinging arms and a peculiar rapid gait. In his face, it had a ravaged quality, eaten away, as if, Barney conjectured, the fat layer had been consumed, as if Eldritch at some other time had fed off himself, devoured perhaps with gusto the superfluous portions of his own body. He had enormous steel teeth. These had been installed prior to his trip to Prox by Czech dental surgeons. They were welded to his jaws. They were permanent. He would die with them. And his right arm was artificial. 20 years ago in a hunting accident on Callisto, he had lost the original. This one was, of course, superior in that it had provided a specialized variety of interchangeable hands. At that moment, Eldridge made use of its fine-fingered humanoid manual extremity. Except for its mechanical shine, it might have been organic. And he was blind, at least from the standpoint of the natural-born body. But replacements had been made, and the prices which Eldridge could and would pay. They had been done just prior to his proxy voyage by Brazilian occultists. They had done a superb job. The replacements fitted into his bone sockets. He had no pupils, nor did any ball move by muscular actions. Instead, a primaronic vision was supplied by a wide-angled lens, a permanent horizontal slot running from edge to edge. The accident to his original ideas had been no accident. It occurred in Chicago. Okay, that's it. So it's these three things. These are the three stigmata. 
The, it's the eyes, the mechanical eyes, the metal teeth, and the mechanical arm. The symbolism of this, of this comes at like the last page of the novel, or the second to last page of the novel in my edition, right at the end. It's the evil of the trinity, the negative trinity of alienation, blurred reality, and despair. So the hand is alienation, I guess. I think, I think it would be, because you're not experiencing the world directly, you're experiencing it through this kind of mechanical advice. Blurred reality is the, the teeth, and the, or the eyes, and the teeth are despair. I think that's, that's how it is. Yeah, the, the order is the same. So it's the arms are the alienation, eyes, blurred reality, and teeth, despair. So you can go to like page 229 of the Vintage Detergent to find that explanation. But those are the three stigmata, and those are the major elements of his transhumanistic uh, you know, transformation into into something else. They all happened before he went to Prox, so that was part of what was known about him. That's record that he was already that way before he went to Proxima. Well, anyways, they have a little bit of a conversation with Palmer Eldridge, and then they they buy the choosy. Barney thinks about just killing Palmer Eldridge right here, but they but they don't. Um, they don't decide to, and then. They take the choosy, and from this point on, the novel be, just becomes really bizarre and a little bit harder to manage and harder to talk about, because they immediately go into different realities. Now, whether these realities are constructions of their own or of Palmer Eldridge is still something we're not entirely clear on. It seems time does not pass when they're in them. We know they can time travel. We know a lot of this stuff from Leo Bolero's experience, and that helps ease us into what we're about to experience here in the end of the novel, but there's no real clear rules, it seems to me. Um, for instance, uh, on one page, on page 167, we're told within this reality, the, the, the nature of language has even changed. And so Barney is with Emily. So that's where he kind of wakes up. He wakes up with Emily in, in the past when he's with Emily. And Emily says, you're bland. Bland? He had not heard that term since college. It was long out of style, and naturally Emily still used it. The word he said distinctly as possible is now fenugold. Can you remember that? Fenugold. So they're back in time when there's different um, language. But he sees Emily immediately. He's out of time. This is actually the, the moment before he even got his job at PP Layouts when he was still happy with Emily. So this is where he wanted to go. When he went to Mars, he wanted to use candy to experience Emily. So this is exactly what he wanted, it seems. But when he starts to do this, Palmer Eldridge appears in the middle of his delusion. He's all happy with Emily, but Palmer Eldridge shows up and says, scold him. You're doing this wrong, he says. He says, let me talk to your husband a moment, Eldridge said to Emily in a peculiar, gentle voice. He motioned and Barney stepped out of the hall. The door shut behind him. Emily had closed it obediently. Now Eldridge seemed to grin, no longer gentle or smiling. He said, Mayerson, you're using your time badly. You're doing nothing but repeating the past. What's the use of my selling you choosy? You're perverse. I've never seen anything like this. I'll give you 10 more minutes and then I'm bringing you back to chicken pox prospects where you belong. So you had better figure this out damn fast, what you want, and if you understand anything, and if you understand anything finally. And then Barney asks, what is choosy? And he doesn't really answer. So it's kind of fascinating. Like Palmer Eldridge seems to think you gotta be more Promethean with the use of choosy. Create new worlds, create new delusions. If you're just using it to go back in time, you're no better than a candy User. But the other thing here is that Palmer Eldridge seems to infect the environment. He comes in. He's there. He's like a character in everyone's story. Now, later he sees Richard Hanat in the present time. And this is after he's already married Emily. 
And they talk about Palmer Eldridge and they talk about the drug and things like that. And Hanat, Hanat is, by the way, Emily's new husband. And Emily and Hanat had gone for P, like e-therapy where they enhance themselves like through genetic engineering, essentially. And we have not seen them. Now we see Hanat in these delusions again, but basically he's a character who's off the table for, most, for all intents and purposes in the novel. But he does appear in Barney's experiences here. And Hanat talks about how Emily feels towards, towards Barney. And he sort of says that Emily's sort of fond of you. Now, again, I don't know if this is just him creating a delusion in which Emily likes him still, and this is what he wants, or if that's really what's happening. So that's where he spends his choosy experience, as far as we can tell. He's then woken up by Anne in the hovel. Now, are we still in the choosy experience? Is, is this something he's created, or is he really out of it? We know from the conversation before with Leo that you can be in Choosy as long as you want and that no time passes on Earth when you're in there. But anyways, Anne wakes him up. He's in the hovel. And Barney's able to debrief her on what Choosy does. He says, it's an illusionary world in which Eldridge holds the key positions as God. He gives you a chance to do what you can't really ever do, reconstruct the past as it ought to have been. But even for him, it's hard. It takes time. It's absolutely not like a dream. So anyways, that's, that's how he describes the experience to, to Anne. It's kind of an infinite return to the past as possible through Choosy. Um, now, Fane, now he meets Fane, and Fane is the person he met in the previous chapter to talk about the plan, and it seems Fane doesn't know him. Reality has changed in some way. Is this because he changed the past? Is it because they're still in the reality? Is he still in Palmer Eldritch world? We don't know, but what we do know is that Fane does not seem to, to recognize him. And somehow the reality they're in has changed. The reason why, we don't know. So that's where chapter um, 10 leaves off. So I think this part of the book is, is really about Barney's search for Emily and to find happiness. And, you know, he goes to Mars hoping that he can reconstruct his life with, in the past with, with Emily. He's given the chance to choose to chew choosy to help his former employer, but he is nevertheless committed to staying on Mars and, and starting a new life. But it's through choosy that he's actually able to experience what he's wanted, which is to see his wife again. And that's where chapter 10 ends. And I think that's where I should end in this episode. In the finale of my review and my coverage of the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge, I'll do my best to tell you what happens in chapters 11, 12, 13. There are some things that very definitely concretely seem to happen. There's other things that are left open and ambiguous. And that's just the nature of Dick's novels in this, in this time period. So um, I'll leave you with that. If you have any of your own opinions about these chapters of The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge, please let me know. Please leave your comments below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And I'll see you next time with my final thoughts on, on this novel, The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. Forget you must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever if you.